Hello, and welcome back to Deep Lorable, a podcast where a couple of friends dredge the internet for the deepest lore. I'm Michael Bastine. I'm Billy Staples. And I'm today's guest, Connor Heffernan. Welcome to the show, Connor. Uh, today's episode is on Disneyland and also Disney World. Disney and World. Since neither Disney World. And since neither Billy nor I actually have been to the park, <laughs> we thought it might be good to get someone who's actually been. Connor, have you been to both parks or just... Uh, I've just, just been to all the various parks of Disneyland, but in okay, particular today okay. we're going to be talking about the Magic Kingdom, uh, you know, the classic one with the big Cinderella's Tower. Okay. Uh, I've and not that's been the to one the one in, in California. Uh, that's the one in Florida. That's the one in Florida. Okay. Yeah, near Orlando. Can you can you give a, our listeners and me kind of a rundown on on what the uh, what the park looks like? Yeah. So the the two parks are pretty similar. The main gist of both of them is they're sectioned into different areas, all kind of based off of different movie sets and whatnot. You have your, right as you walk in, your uh, Main Street USA is what they call it, which is mm -hmm. your typical Midwestern town of like the earliest 20th century. Uh, this is where you walk in, you have like all your restaurants, the gift shops, and you have the big castle in the background. Okay, that's the that's the famous castle that's on like every Disney. Yeah, every ever. Disney thing. Okay, uh, and from there it kind of branches off to different areas. Uh, you have Adventureland, which is kind of like based off of the you're in a far off tropical forest with all the spooky unknowns. That's where the Jungle Cruise ride and like the Indiana Jones show are at. It's all you know spooky jungle. Okay. You have New Orleans Square, which is another more of a shopping district, but they have some good rides there, uh, which is like the name says, based off of New Orleans from the 19th century. They okay. got, uh, at least in Disneyland and no, I'm, let's see, I'm trying to remember the both. I know in both of them, that's where Pirates of the Caribbean is. Yeah, I heard I heard a little bit about that. I think only in the California Disneyland uh, is where the Haunted Mansion is at. Okay. Uh, there is Frontierland, which is based off of the, you know, American frontier. There's been a lot of issues over the years with that part of the park. Uh, but that's where the famous Thunder Mountain is at, which is a big splash ride with the big log that goes down the waterfall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have a, a trio of mountain rides at the Disney parks. There is Fantasyland, which is... It used to be like a medieval style village, and they've updated a bit. It's based off of a, it's like a German style village, uh, okay. if you can imagine what that's like. And that's where a lot of their dark rides are at. Do both of you know what dark rides are? So I have a, my suspicions. Billy, do you know? I assume by dark, it's referring to lighting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Whenever I hear the term dark ride, I just, I, I want to imagine like Spooky. the haunted mansion and well you're not wrong uh the haunted mansion is a dark ride but not for the reasons that i'm thinking no uh well you're kind of right so dark rides are pretty much any roller coaster any sort of you know ride that is indoors completely it usually has some sort of internal lighting which is why they call it a dark ride mm -hmm. the famous ones they have here are the there's a winnie the pooh ride there's a peter pan ride ah yes with tigger's abyss yes uh <laughs> uh Oof. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Fantasyland is just kind of like, you know, the place where, you know, children want to go to have an adventure. Okay. So it's not just like a Renfair sort of setting. It It is, um, or it's it's also not like just a collection of like Cinderella and Winnie the Pooh, like the, the fantasy sort of genres. It's also. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get what you're putting down here, though. It's it's the, you know, fantasy. It's usually the more they have a lot more of the like younger kid friendly rides there as mm -hmm. well. And then there's the my favorite part of the park, Tomorrowland, which is the sci fi, you know, mid 19th, uh, 1900s, like view of what the future will be like. So there's like rocket ships and whatnot there. And there is my favorite ride from when I used to go to Disney World, the Star or not. Star, well, Star Wars one is there, but the Buzz Lightyear gallery shooter. Another dark ride where you have, I think, four people. You sit in a little cart and you each have a little mm -hmm. blaster in front of you and you just got to shoot targets as you go down the track. Didn't they didn't they in Kingdom Hearts 3 make a, something that was like yeah. based off of that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember all of those abilities in Kingdom Hearts 3, but all of those are based off of a well-known Disney ride that exists or existed at one point in time. Okay, cuz cuz there was there was one where you like got in a in a, like a little cart and you were firing at people. That was so that was based off of this this Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Interesting. Now, so dark rides are they're specifically Rides where the lighting is completely controlled 
as opposed to rides where specifically it is darker or dimly lit. Yeah, uh, the main okay. advantage to them is you're kind of able to tell a, a story Yeah, through the ride. Uh, so on the flip side, they're not usually the most thrill-seeking of rides, but... You know, for what the goal of Disneyland and Disney World is, it works very well. So I know they've got they've got Thunder Mountain. Does Disney? Oh, the other two mountains. I didn't even tell you that. Oh, yeah. You didn't tell us about the other. Mountains. So in fantasy or uh, in Tomorrowland, you have what is called Space Mountain. It's an indoor roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I got it mixed up. People are going to kill me. So Thunder Mountain <laughs> is not the splash ride. That is to the more aptly titled Splash Mountain. Okay. Yeah. See, I thought Splash Mountain was a uh, like a Six Flags or whatever attraction. I didn't realize that was at Disney World. Disney. Yeah. World. And then Thunder Mountain is a outdoor roller coaster. Okay. I think that's also in Frontierland. Uh, and most uh, the two parks share most of these. Uh, the only difference it's Disney World is bigger, so they have a lot more rides there, and they have another large area called Liberty Square. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like, you know, uh, uh, 1776 era United States. And that's where the Haunted Mansion is at that park. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's a, a general rundown. Disney World is the Florida parks. The Florida all of location. them. But we're focusing on the Magic Kingdom. And then in California, there is just Disneyland. They don't have any of the other parks there. Okay. Yeah, I, I could go on about the other parks, but that's not. I know what we're we could about. we could talk. I'm sure you could talk all day about like what's going on here. You mentioned Tomorrowland, how it has a a Star Wars like, a ride attraction to it. Yeah. What What's the where What's Where's Galaxy's Edge hanging out? Like, what is What's that? Is that part of Tomorrowland or is that a different thing? Actually, in both of the parks, it's not part of Tomorrowland. It's a small little separate area of the park. Mm-hmm. In the California one, it is its own little section. You go through this little mountain walk, like a mountain gate thing, and you are suddenly in Star Wars land. You have left Earth and you are on Batuu <laughs> and everything is Star Wars. Uh, but that is connected to that park. Whereas okay. with in Florida, it is actually part of a different one of the different parks. Uh, it used to be called MGM. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the correct name for it now. Monosodium glutamate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it there. <laughs> no, wait. I think that's MSG. Uh, Hollywood Studios. That's what they call it now. Disney's it Hollywood Studios. Uh, after their sponsorship with MGM went through. But it's kind of like their own separate section of the park. Okay. So these individual sections, you go to Disney World, Magic Kingdom, and yeah. then you have... Um, like you basically have like one ticket to get in there and you can kind of go to any of these parks within this like larger. It depends on the ticket you buy when you go. Uh, so you can buy a one park ticket or you can buy a like a three park or an all park ticket. And there's a you've heard of the monorails, the big electric trains. Yeah. So they're all connected by those because they're miles apart at sections. And you can just kind of walk out the main gate, hop on the monorail, go to the next park if you want. Holy cow. I, I do recall there's a special deal they do where you get to go to three parks in three days. And, and is that is that a having you having been there is how feasible is it to visit like all parks in one day kind of thing? Uh, you can do it, but you're not going to be able to do everything there. There is easily enough in uh, each park to last you an entire day. OK, but if if your goal is to just hit all of the parks, you can do that. Man, that is way bigger than I thought it was. In in my research, I did come across that there's underground tunnels everywhere in the park, like underneath it. And the actors actually have like little go-karts that they use to travel around because it's if they didn't, it'd be a nightmare. Yeah, I got to imagine because because people maintaining that park have to have some way to get around that is a avoiding the crowds and B. Yeah. Isn't going to kill their legs trying to actually function. Yeah. They devise the underground rail, the underground tunnels exclusively because they didn't want for instance a stormtrooper wandering around in you know ariel's land yeah that'd be kind of i don't know i think some crossover there you know having having listened to our previous episodes i think our listeners know i'm big on crossover but i'd be entertained (laughs) thinking about that i i heard in my in my research i heard a little bit about a proposed tunnel system from the haunted mansion to the pirates of the caribbean ride in like a, a barrage not ride but attraction area mm-hmm. in a barataria island kind of situation does anybody know anything further about 
whether or not that would interfere with or connect to or in like the existing tunnel set was it using that so to to clarify a bit only the florida park has these tunnels uh okay the magic kingdom is actually built on the second floor they built the basements first and then the park above it probably is it's probably smart to build from the bottom up rather than from yeah when the the water level in florida is your feet Mm -hmm. but yeah I'm, i'm not too sure about those tunnels uh do you do you know which park that's with i i'm not I it, it's, it was so hard to keep track, especially because I'm not I'm not keen on yeah. on what's what. What I was looking at was just the connections between. Uh, I was actually looking through that YouTube channel that you sent a link mm-hmm. to. Shout out to Offhand Disney. Yes, Offhand Disney. I think it was it was um, where he was talking about Jean Lafitte and the connections between a certain anchor and I think it was Disneyland. Okay, yeah. If it was one of his videos, he talks almost exclusively on Disneyland. Mm -hmm. That said, I do know there are so many rumors built around the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Mm -hmm. Like, at one point, they had actual human skeletal remains in there. Ooh. And Disney didn't like that, so they got rid of it and put Mm -hmm. in, you know... I can't imagine Disney would have... Kind of, yeah. Now was is this just a rumor? Is this confirmed? I think we need to confirm this. Which honestly, just to kind of bring it up, that added a whole extra layer of difficulty to researching this topic because it's Disney. Everybody wants to make all kinds of rumors yeah. about you know Walt's got his frozen head in the bottom of Disney, and uh, there's a, a ring embedded in concrete at the haunted mansion attraction, and it's. There's a little bits of truth to every rumor, but to actually peel off the layers of the internet that are, you know, and finding out what's actually pure conspiracy and what is okay. just some poorly established facts. You find something on it? Yep. So uh, there was real skeletons there because when the ride opens. Oh, good. Uh, here's another little fun fact. Do you know what the people who designed these rides are called? Are they called uh, cast? Oh, no, Imagineers. Yep, Imagineers are the people who design them, and casts are pretty much everyone who's working on the floor. Mm-hmm. So they did have real skeletons, because at the time, fake skeletons just didn't look very convincing. <laughs> it's that old, huh? I mean, uh, So, you know, Disney hit up their friends at the UCLA Medical Center and, you know, got a couple of props. But, uh, props. you know, in, as... In quotations. Skeleton technology improved. <laughs> the next generation of Imagineers were able to replace the real ones, and they gave them back to their, you know, their countries of origin and gave them proper burials. Okay. But it, it seems good. they are all out by now. Those poor skeletons were replaced by machines. That's that's kind of wild that this um that was in you said that was in the Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. attraction. It's kind of wild that that was so old that it was literally at a point where our our tech for making convincing artificial bones was not there. Well, Disneyland was opened in the middle of 1995. And, uh, sorry, Pirates of the Caribbean was one of the opening rides there. So it's it's been Pirates there a while. Pirates of the Caribbean was an opening ride at Disneyland? Wow. Mm-hmm. Which, do you remember which came... Disney World was the first one released, correct? Nope. Uh, so Disneyland was the first one open. Uh, like I said, that's uh, July 19, uh, 1955. Mm-hmm. And Walt oh, Disney. 55. Di- okay, you said 95, and I yeah. was like, oh, that's, that's newer than I thought. <laughs> that's really new. No, uh, Disney World. That's like as new as me. Was uh, opened on October 1st, 1971. Uh, most okay. of those parks were actually opened after Walt Disney passed. So he was there for a lot of the planning, but he wasn't there for the opening. Yeah, I I took a, a history of animation class, and we we dug a lot into Disney, and because I mean you have to with being being one of the forefathers of the modern interpretation of animation, and he put a lot of work into the planning and stuff for that. But I think one of his more famous quotes was, "This park's never going to be finished," or something like that. Uh, as long as imagination is still a thing, yeah, it was big on. And that's that's still like that. true. They they keep updating the parks and they kind of have to because if you want to rake in, you know, people who've grown up around there and spent their whole life going to Disney parks, you have to add new stuff. Mm-hmm. The mouse hungers. The mouse hungers. <laughs> the mouse craves. Uh, craves but while we're speaking of famous uh, Disney quotes from Walt Disney, 
Uh, did you know he had a very strong view on not having alcohol in his park? You know, I I knew that there wasn't there was almost almost no. I did hear a, a one location where you can get yourself some alcohol from, but I I didn't know how staunchly Walt was opposed to it. So he himself was a drinker. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. there's a famous steamboat that is at Disneyland, and it was rumored he had a hidden cache of hard liquor there. Uh, but here's a quote he gave. No liquor, no beer, nothing. Because that brings in a rowdy element. That brings people that we don't want and I feel they don't need. Uh, in referring to the park. Yeah. However, what you are referring to could have been of a few things. As we know, Walt Disney was not a foolish man. He knew people wanted their alcohol. So mm-hmm. to kind of get around this, when they opened up Disneyland, they built a little a little tent that they called Holiday Land, which was a few feet outside of the park. Right next to one of the entrances. <laughs> technically, technically, not in the park. <laughs> so people could leave the park, go over there. There's like a little, uh, like a kid's park over there. Companies would actually have company picnics and stuff there, right outside of mm-hmm. Disneyland. And you could get yourself some beer there. So was this, this was like a pavilion kind of. Yeah, like a, act, like a, just a, like a big old tent. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, they'd go out there for a while and people could rent it for the day and they would get to, you know, drink and party out there. And then they would have like a couple hour slot where they could go into the park. And while I was researching this, I found a story of someone who was like, yeah, uh, it must suck of if you went there as a kid for like your father's company picnic and you're eating right outside of Disneyland. Oh, and, you know, you hear the sound of the steamboats, the the roar of the people and you want to go in there as a kid. But your dad's like, no, we're going to stay out here and do sack races. Oh, yeah. Uh, having having grown up as a as a pastor's kid and kind of knowing the what it's like to be to going to, you know, conventions and, and mm-hmm. things where it's uh, company meetings and whatnot. I can imagine how that would have been yeah. to have to go to this like corporate gathering and to be right next to what is widely considered one of the, like... The happiest place on Earth. Yeah, well... TM. For a kid, anyway. But yeah, so they... Even with that place open, Walt Disney did not like it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, these large crowds of drunk people would come into his park. Uh, so it was only open for a couple years. But during your research, did either of you stumble across the mention of the, the infamous Club 33? I did. That was actually the one that I was referring to. I have no concrete idea how you're supposed to get in, and I don't know that there anyone really does. It seems to be kind of very mysterious, very shrouded in in all kinds of um all kinds of Yeah, well, uh to give you a brief mention of the history, I'll give you a description. So, over in the New Orleans Square, They've changed it a bit, but this was the more iconic view. Disney has this infamous coat of paint called Noceum Green, which is kind of like the blandest shade of green you can see. It's like a grayish green. Yeah, it's like olive. Yeah, they it's, they paint it's a very... everything they don't want you to see with it. The electrical boxes, the construction squares, and it kind of works. Your your eyes just don't want to look at it. Well, the the entire park is is flooded with all kinds of design choices. Honestly, even if you're not looking at going to like to the rides and everything and you're not much of a people person, going in just to look at the effort that they have put into environmental design in those parks is Oh, it's crazy. Boggling. Yeah. Uh they they utilize sight lines a lot. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I interrupted you. We we're talking about moss green and or no oh, seam green specifically. All right, well, and... we'll get back to that in a second then. Uh, but they they painted a door with this color, and it just had the number thirty three on it, and you couldn't get in there. And this kind of people were suspicious of it. And you know, is it some sort of secret Disney cult? What what goes on in there? And there uh, there's been sightings of like big named people going in there. Unfortunately, the truth isn't that exciting. It's no mouse worshiping cult, but it is the that we know of. <laughs> it was the only place you could get alcohol in the park until the late 2000 teens. It is a private uh, restaurant uh, that opened in 1967. And the main reason it opened was Disney had a bunch of sponsors, uh, their largest being General Electronics. And okay. Disney used to host the World Fair all the time. And GE was like, hey, Disney, we want our people to be able to drink when we're at this big fair. Can you work something out for us? And 
Walt Disney was like, no, uh, I, I don't I don't want to. And they're like, OK, well, I guess we'll take our business elsewhere. And through a bit of a compromise, he's like, OK, I'll make a secret bar that only, uh, you know, high ranking uh, corporate sponsors and whatnot can enter. Oh, that's very cyberpunk. Yeah. The corporate elite. So he opened it up and they could go there to party and after hours and stuff. Uh, one interesting thing about it was originally he was going to make the inside more because it's just like a really nice high end restaurant. But right. his original design for it was he wanted it to have some of that Disney spirit. So an interesting thing I stumbled across was he was going to have animatronics in there at like all the tables with microphones that he would have cast members listening to. <laughs> and they could chime into the conversation through the animatronics, potentially. <laughs> However, he had the hindsight of, well, maybe these, you know, high end uh, corporate sponsors <laughs> don't want a lot of people spying on them. <laughs> So uh, he, he kind of called that off, but uh, I do love the image. I lo- honestly, I love that as a concept for a restaurant, though, like because there's there's all kinds of fantasy and science fiction restaurants that have like wait wait staff units like at the table mm-hmm. that you know you speak to them and it magically makes food appear or summons some robot from the kitchen or whatever. And I'm just I'm imagining this animatronic of Lumiere sitting at the center of your Lumiere being the candelabra from Beauty and the Beast uh, sitting on the center of your table as natural lighting and being able to ask Lumiere to have the servants send something in. Yeah, it's I'm interested that has I'm assuming Disney hasn't done this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had. Do you you know? Have you visited any of as far as I know, they they don't. They have a bunch of restaurants with animatronics, Mm -hmm. but I think there's a lot of issues, especially legal issues, that can arise yeah, from true. that. Because it is also absolutely eavesdropping on every single conversation that's at. Yeah. But yeah, they went against that and opened it up in time for the World Fair. So is this is this club still exclusive to... Corporate executives? No, actually. So a few years after it opened, anyone could go in if you had a lot of money. Okay. The numbers I was seeing was something like 25,000 to 100,000. Yeah. So uh, I couldn't find the rate for when it opened. <laughs> but nowadays, if you want to go in, it's it's just a meager, you know, 25,000 sign up cost and only like a 10 to 15,000 monthly fee. Monthly. But don't don't worry. That's just the, your that's just their, you know, platinum level pass. So like if you want the, you know, the basic option, their higher up options, I couldn't find real numbers. But the rumor was the entry cost is around forty five thousand, and so if I were to take a guess, it'd probably be around twenty to twenty five thousand a month to stay in that. Yikes! So just just plugging in the twenty five thousand startup fee and fifteen thousand a month for twelve months, uh, that is two hundred five thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Yikes! Good night. I mean, you got to go to those fancy restaurants. Uh, (laughs) Another fun thing, though, is originally you couldn't really sign up for it unless you, you know, knew a guy who knew a guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nowadays, you can sign up for it. They only have a waiting list that's about 15 years to have your application reviewed. 15 years. Yeah. I I thought you were about to say like 15 months. No. So, yeah, if you're any Joe Schmo with a couple thousand dollars in your pocket, it might take you a while, but. Oh, boy. I'm like, I'll have. Oh, gosh. If I had two hundred and five thousand dollars to burn, it wouldn't be on fine dining. <laughs> I mean, they, they do give you some other stuff included. That doesn't even cover for the food, by the way. You still got to pay for the food. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 wait. No, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even come. <laughs> Looks over at my notes on like uh, some secret uh, recipe or secret menu items from a couple of the different establishments on the in the normal side of the park, and I'm like, hmm, I man, <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought amuse- I had found something kind of interesting. Amusement parks are infamous for their overly priced items. There, when I went to Hollywood Studios last year, just for a tiny little bottle of Coke, it was either five or seven bucks for what's the equivalent of one can. But it was at the was at the Galaxy's Edge. The Galaxy uh, Edge pod. Yeah, it looks like a thermal detonator. But that's that's driving too far away from our <laughs> Magic Kingdom goals. Uh, you do get some other things though if you're part of this member. 
Uh, you get mm-hmm. four annual passes to all the parks in the U.S. So that okay. means you can go as many times as you want, whatever time of the year. And that's to, to you said all the parks in the U.S., so that's both to the California one and the Yep, that is Florida. correct. Uh, you get 50 what are called park hopper tickets, which are like one-time tickets that you can just kind of give to friends. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's for one day. Uh, you get five tours per year, like VIP tours of whatever park you want. Uh, which I've heard those are pretty cool. That's one of the few ways you can see the inside of Cinderella's castle. Uh, cause normally that's off limits. Being, you know, graphic design, I was, I was digging into a lot of the design elements of the park and stuff. And one of the ones that I was seeing was one of the castles where warmer, like pink coloring on the walls was used near to the bottom. And then like a lighter blue up near the top to give a, to generate an optical illusion of more height. I thought that was Cinderella's castle, but maybe I'm wrong, which... You... To be fair, they do that to about every building in the park. Okay. They they use a lot of forced perspective with how they build things. Uh, so mm-hmm. the ground floors are built at about a 3-4 scale to what they'd really be. The second floors are about a 5-8 scale to what they'd really look like. And then they're at a half scale if they have a third, and a 1-8 if they have a fourth. So they're not as tall as they look. They build them smaller at yeah. the top. Exactly. That's... Beautiful. I love that. Uh, so it's it's something that you don't you don't really notice until someone points it out to you. Man, we really could talk all day about this. This it's, stuff. It's crazy. They they go through some pretty big leaps and bounds to design these things. Because yeah, like you said, they use colors in various ways. Uh, they focus heavily on sight lines to prevent you from being in you know fantasy land and looking over and seeing mm. something yeah. from frontier land. So like rides will be back to back. Because I, I, I looked this up and I found it while we were talking and then I lost it. But I believe the statistic is you can fit 51 Disney lands inside the space of all the parks in Disney World. 51 Disney lands in one Disney World. Wow. Huh? <laughs> I thought Disneyland was the bigger one. Apparently I was very wrong. Billy, uh, let's. What, what did you kind of find? Some of the stuff that you found in your research. I did find one thing that I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. And thinking about it makes a ton of sense. Not only are some of the bigger buildings reinforced to withstand the hurricanes that happens, mm-hmm. but they also strategically put lightning rods everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Strategic lightning rods. One of them I found really funny was there's a Mickey Mouse ear that functions as a lightning rod. That's a smart way of doing it. Yeah. They, they are all designed to kind of fit into the themes their area they're at to make them not stand out too much. Man, I wish I wish all of the architects in in the United States put this kind of effort into their environmental design. Well, if you had the mouse backing up your design, <laughs> you know what? That's actually a fair point. There's a lot of money that goes into yeah. into this. <laughs> there were there were a couple of things I wanted to bring to the table. I was really interested in the Disneyland cats mm-hmm. because honestly, I just I'm a I'm a big fan of cats, and I love the fact that they have a little herd of around 200 feral cats that just hang out and deal with pest control. Uh, Disney World don't get cats. Disney World gets snakes. Unfortunately, they're not intentionally kept and released snakes. They Mm -hmm. just don't get rid of the non-venomous snakes, which is less fun, but it is fun to... (laughs) I'm just saying, like, you see all these people having a fun time. If you're a snake, you want in on that. Yeah, yeah. But I do love the cruel irony of the mouse employing cats to control the mouse population. Uh-huh. Just every everything about the Disneyland cats, just because they've got like they've got the little feeding stations that are hidden off to the side. Like you you won't see the feeding stations. And because the cats mostly come out at night and sleep during the day, you won't really see the cats too much either, unless you know where to look. And I but I like that, you know, it's the cats are afforded almost the same kind of amenities that the cast are with, you know, secret tunnels and... Yeah, the the cats are actually really well taken care of. Uh, you know, they're all spayed and neutered before they're released. Uh, they're constantly given medical treatment and food and whatnot. But another thing that's kind of interesting about them is, like, if they become too friendly around humans... They take them off the the mouse patrol team and will actually uh, allow cast members to adopt them, which I I really like. I like that there's there's a um, they're not just, you know, carted off to a shelter or whatever or just put down. Yeah, which would be very easy to do. Mm hmm. 
they actually Disney actually takes the time and energy to, you know, hey, hey, we'll get this cat into a good home. It's not there's no reason to. But uh, speaking of pest control in Florida, much worse than rats and snakes, you have mosquitoes. Mm. And Disney World is built on very cheap land at, like, the edge of the Everglades, which is pretty much a swamp. Is there anything other than that in Florida? There's alligators. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> there's Nodland. There's Nodland. I mean, there's the fire ants, but that's another story. So, in order to control this... Spark on the bayou. <laughs> uh, in order to control this mosquito problem, Disney has implement, uh, implemented the Mosquito Surveillance Program. Where the MSP. All, the MSP, where all over the park, they have carbon uh, dioxide traps, which the mosquitoes are attracted to. And they will monitor, like, how many mosquitoes get into it to figure out where they need to put more traps and whatnot. But even more interesting than that, outside the park, they keep little, what I'm going to call chicken sentinels. Uh, it's just little chicken coops where they monitor the blood of the chicken every day. To find out if they have any viruses that are carried by mosquitoes. Because, as you know, mosquitoes have a lot of different viruses they can transmute. And chickens are immune to most of them. So if, you know, a mosquito with malaria or a chicken with malaria pops up, they're like, uh-oh, we have some malaria mosquitoes in this area. Let's reinforce the traps. So what do you think of that? That's definitely a solution. <laughs> that... <laughs> I like you know, to imagine. Keep going. I heard something about the chickens because mm-hmm. I was doing the research on the cats, and pest control comes up during that. What I did not realize is that it was a multi-layered mosquito defense system with chicken sentries and carbon dioxide turrets and barbed wire and guard towers. Like, yeah, they have. I like thought a... the chickens just eat mosquitoes, but no, <laughs> apparently. The the chickens are the mosquito sensors. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine they have like a, a Pentagon level control room where they're just monitoring all this from and one mosquito pops up on their traps. We have a cold blue. We have a code blue. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is. Yeah, it's way more intense than than what I was seeing. I'm suddenly picturing in the like Star Wars park, a bunch of Jawas running over to a to a trap and like <laughs> making Jawa noises and then running back into the. <laughs> Oh, that would be such a good disguise for the cast members that have to go deal with the mosquito traps. Uh, I was imagining, you know, like men in suits, but yeah, like they are cast members (laughs) playing the role. Oh, Oh, I love that. Oh, goodness. Uh, You guys are earlier talking about animatronics, and that got the picture in my mind of a, again, don't, I've never been there. Don't know if they have this. But a restaurant that has a waiter that's just R2-D2 with a little tray on its head. Now, Connor, you went to the Galaxy's Edge at Disney World. What was that like? Did, yeah, what was that like? Did you, did, what was the, like, the the staff and stuff there? So, uh, all the staff were dressed up in Disney costumes. Not Disney, Kind of a Star renaissance, but it's Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I'm not too sure what the style is, but, like, all the vendors had the, you know, the, the casual, like, you know, brownish clothes you'd see from background characters. And everything was in lore. So, like, money was called credits. And so, you know, 100 credits is a dollar. Okay. They'd be like, oh, this this T-shirt's 1,500 credits. So it's $15 or whatever, if mm-hmm. I got those numbers wrong. But in regards to the R2 servers, I didn't actually get to go into the restaurant. Because it's a, a huge line. And mm-hmm. it's mostly just drinks. And There's also very, little very few. expensive. Uh, very few food, yeah. Uh, all the drinks are themed, however. My favorite two that I've seen, one comes in a mug, and it has, like, little Ewoks carved into it, and it's some sort of beer. And then there's another kind of beer that comes in a carved-out Rancor tooth. Ooh. Uh, that's so that's fun. Yeah. And while I don't know if they had R2-D2 waiters, I do know there's a place where you can build your own R2-D2, and you can buy accessories for them, and one of them is a little like cup holder accessory (laughs) and you might not be able to fit a lot on it, but you could fit a cup or two on there. You know, I I was, I was doing, uh, I mentioned before I was doing some research on to like secret menu items that you can find throughout, throughout the park. And I I don't know if this was Disneyland or Disney world, but I did find that, uh, let's see the golden horseshoe. And maybe Connor, you can, 
you can pipe in if you recognize where where restaurants which which restaurants these are from. Um, you can get something called ice cream nachos, which is like this family size, sharing size. Uh, imagine nachos, but if they were made with ice cream and waffle chips, waffle cone oh, chips. Oh, that's not bad. Hot fudge, whipped cream, you know, the works. But they mentioned that at the Tomorrowland Grill, mm-hmm. which I imagine is at Tomorrowland, which I think is Disney World, correct? Uh, both of them have a Tomorrowland. Okay, both of them have a yep. Tomorrowland. You can order something that is that is a Galactic-style burger, which is apparently similar to the In-N-Out's Animal-style burger, which is topped with French fries, bacon, cheese, grilled onions, and Thousand Island dressing. Now, when I first read that list, I did read it as topped with French fries, bacon grease, grilled onions, and some <laughs> Thousand Island dressing, which... I didn't bat an eye at initially <laughs> because it's just these. It's even ignore even changing it from grease back over to cheese. It's so much cholesterol and death. Oh yeah, I don't know. I could never order a, a quote unquote secret menu item though from a restaurant. Yeah, I, I it would too. It, it's kill my anxiety. Yeah, as all of us being you know socially awkward human beings, uh-huh. it's definitely something that would be hard to do. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. With my regards to Disney uh, food at Disney, the smart option is to bring your own food. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've heard most of the restaurants are good. I don't recall what restaurant I went to when I visited Hollywood Studios in the the last year. It was an outdoor, just like a little outdoor cafeteria thing almost where you go up. I got a, a, a burger and it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, and you know it came with French fries. It was fries. overpriced as much as oh, everything is. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was the price of a good burger. Ugh. But uh, I do remember as a kid getting churros. They they would sell churros in little churro carts all over, and those were so good. I mean, I don't think there's a there is a theme park any theme park worth their salt's got to sell good fried food. It's you, you're required. It's a requirement. It's, yeah, it's part of the contract. Have to have churros, churro, churro, churros. Churros or elephant ears or or funnel cake, corn dogs. But yeah, well, while we're talking about churros, though, Disney employs a tactic that's also used at movie theaters where they will put like air pumps connected to all their food things and just pump out the scent around like the, oh, the parts and things. Yeah. Wait, that's smart and almost as bad as there was in the earliest stages of the early stages of motion picture and animation when people first started to get into subliminal messaging and everyone, like all the movie execs went ballistic briefly and just started splicing in images like in between and the in-between frames uh, on like movie reels and stuff to the point where the FCC, I think it was the FCC, right? It's the FCC that deals with that kind of stuff. uh, Eventually was like, Hey, stop it. (laughs) You can't do this to people. Oh, uh, they also do that air pump, though, with that's so sneaky. The only ride I know of is the Pirates of the Caribbean, where now, if see, you're, that's clever. They'll pump the smell of like sea salt out when you're yeah. near, uh, which is really cool. Now, Connor, I do have to know, were you able to ascertain whether or not you can acquire sea salt ice cream? I, I have I can neither confirm nor deny this knowledge. Uh, I have had sea salt ice cream, but it was not at Disney World's. Uh, I do know one of their most famous foods is they have like a Dole pineapple ice cream thing that uh-huh. has like the recipe's been changed a few times over the years and it's really popular. That's one of their most popular food items, I believe. There's a bunch of like make it at home recipes. A very quick Google search has revealed that Tokyo Disney Resort is the one where you can get sea salt ice cream. Of course, that's, you know. Considering that it is a reference to a very Japanese produced game. I wonder what game that could be. Uh, I don't know, but I'm sure the answer is simple and clean. <sighs> uh, well, uh, that's it. Thanks for having me, guys. It was great being on your podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go beat my head against the wall for that joke. Uh, you you two, have, oh. two have fun. So one of the things that I found that I was I was really interested in was the whole Pepper's Ghost illusion. It's something that was that's talked about, and I think it's fairly well known that I think it's the Haunted Mansion ride, right? That's yes. the one that has the Pepper's Ghost illusion. Um, have you been on that ride? Oh yeah. Uh- <laughs> so so what's the scenario that this illusion takes place in? Because like so I, I- the real famous scenario is you are on like a a walkway looking down at like the main room, and there's a big dance going on down there, 
and you see a good six or seven ghosts just kind of swirling around dancing. And you're going across this walkway above them all, seeing this happen. Okay. Because um, what got me, what got me particularly interested in this, aside from the fact that I just like the, I like optical illusions in general. Who doesn't? I yeah, I know. Was that back in 2012 at the Coachella Music Art uh, Music and Arts Festival? Everyone was freaking out because they had Tupac, who had recently died, perform on stage. He made an appearance as like a hologram, and everyone was like, "Oh man, the next level in in entertainment and music." And it's what I found out was that they were just using, like, making good use of the Pepper's Ghost illusion, which is something that we've been using since as early as 1969, back when Disney first implemented it in the Haunted Mansion. Well, actually, uh, Pepper's Ghost is a little older than that. Well, I know the illusion itself is older than that, but the use of it in entertainment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, But uh, what's it called? The Haunted Mansion isn't the only ride that uses that. Really? What other rides do? The, The only one I remember off the top of my head is in the Winnie the Pooh Dark Ride. Tigger's Abyss. Yeah, Tigger's Abyss. (laughs) That's the only thing I know about that ride is Tigger's Abyss. Uh, There's a scene where uh, Winnie the Pooh is stuck in a window and he like falls asleep, and you Uh see his like spirit (gasps) astral project. The cartoon where his spirit goes out into the heffalop. Yeah, that's done the same exact way with Pepper's Ghost. Okay, that's pretty neat. Which, uh, for our listeners at home, if ever you want to have a little bit of fun playing with this illusion, all you need is a, a smartphone and one of those old uh, clear CD cases. Because you can use the clear cover on that and uh, angle it in such a way to actually get your phone to project a an illusion onto that screen, just as you would with um, the actual like Pepper's Ghost illusion. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to play with. It's really simple to do, and it's really amazing that, like, this, you know, multi-billion dollar company, you'd think like they'd have actual holograms as their <laughs> yeah. ghost, but they're like, we're going to use this dollar store effect that works really well. And it still works really well. Especially because because the, the illusion is just the way to mechanically present it to the audience. Mm-hmm. To improve the quality of it, all you have to do is just tweak the lighting a little bit tweak the animatronics a little bit, which Disney, I, I recently, in doing research for this episode, I found I found all of Disney's, well, not all of, but I found Disney's work with, like, the Frozen animatronics, and those those look gorgeous. Yeah. The, taking the ideas behind uh, 3D modeling and creating the models for those, anim, the animations, and then applying that to a physical representation of the model using, you know, the polyester and all the stuff mm-hmm. that goes into it was really brilliant yeah i'm i'm not used to podcast etiquette i keep nodding my head agreeing with you and i'm like <laughs> oh no one's gonna hear that no but yeah they they go through so much work with these animatrons it's real uh and like they will i i don't know of any uh examples off the top of my head but when they close a ride with animatrons they will repurpose like the parts and just throw like a different skin on it to make it fit new rides it's it's just really interesting how they can resourcefully figure out ways to do that. But yeah, I unless you want to start breaking out some of the the fun facts, the real deep stuff. I think it might be time for that. Uh, I don't know, Billy. You got any? What else have you got, Billy? While you're hanging out over there? Unfortunately, we've we've talked about pretty much everything I had. Yeah, it's uh, this topic's kind of real easy to step on each other's feet with. I'd imagine. Because all, all the big stuff is really easy to find with a couple of Google searches. Which which is honestly, it's a it's a something we keep running into with Deplorable because you have you're searching for some the most obscure and hopefully the most hilarious stuff you can find. But especially with something as big as Disneyland and Disney World, both of those everyone loves to dig into all of this stuff. I, I actually didn't realize there was such a in hindsight, of course there is, but I didn't realize there was so much um interest in like theme park lore and and um, neat little facts and details and trivia and stuff. Yeah, there's there's like a whole section of people where I imagine if I still lived in Florida, I'd probably be one of them where they're like, you know, obsessed with these parks and like what happens with them and just learning about them. It's like being a fan of anything else. You just kind of grow up around it, I would imagine. And plus, who doesn't love like a good mystery around anything Disney related? Exactly. 
people have to imagine they have some skeletons in their closet or Pirates of the Caribbean ride. <laughs> One of the most infamous of those, I'm sure you've all heard of it, uh, it's been joked about throughout the years, is Walt Disney's Frozen Head. I So, bring us up to speed. I have heard the jokes about Walt Disney's Frozen Head, but the only real references I have are, and Billy actually might be able to pull a little more information from this. Billy, wasn't there a frozen head or something in one of the Fallout games? Like in a vault somewhere oh, that you can talk to? There's in Fallout 3, I think it's 3, you meet the president. I don't remember which president, but you meet the president's head who's leading the Enclave. There's also in Fallout 4 in the Nuka Land expansion, there's a whole quest line about getting to the creator's hidden vault. Oh, yeah. And his head is suspended in cryo. Because that, that Nuka Land was a pretty obvious parody of... Definitely, yeah. If you've, if you've played that, that's exactly how the Disney parks are set up. You know, there's the Western area, there's the sci-fi area. Uh, it's a actually really good representation. I gotta go play that DLC now. <laughs> have you never played it? <laughs> no, I have, but... Okay. Just not like, you know... Act like all the way through and why I I think I've I think I've only played through that DLC like once. <laughs> <laughs> it's alright. But yeah, so the rumor with this kind of started around the fact that uh Walt Disney's final project was this park called Epcot, which stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. It was his view of I'm gonna make this city that's like the city of tomorrow, this future city. Uh so he was kind of I wouldn't say obsessed, but a big fan of new technologies and whatnot. And one of the big focuses was medicine. And so when he passed away, there were a lot of rumors going around. And from what I could dig out, in the early 1967, in early 1967, a few weeks after Disney's death, a reporter for a tabloid newspaper called the National Spotlight claimed he snuck into St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank, which is in California, directly across the street from Disney Studios, where he was treated during his final illness. As the story went, the reporter disguised himself as an or, uh, uh, as an orderly. He broke into a storage room and saw the deceased Disney suspended in a cryogenic metal cylinder. <laughs> Years later, a, in 1969, a French magazine it, uh, spread rumors saying that they predicted Disney would be thawed out in 1975 and... They also claimed that his burial spot, where they kept his frozen head, was stored underneath the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. Uh, it didn't help that Disney employees kind of spread this rumor around mm -hmm. and spread false stories of what was called the Big Freeze, when they were going to unfreeze Walt Disney and bring him back <laughs> into the modern day. Well, I mean, you know, when, when President Disney last announced his third term... In the United States, everyone thought it was just, you know, another hoax. But man, uh, I mean, he's been doing a great job laying down rules and uh, regulations regarding cryogenic technology nowadays. Wow, that is just really off the wall. <laughs> I love it. And I understand mm -hmm. how, how it could kind of come come about. There was there was a time where it's it's interesting nowadays to take take a look back on how technology has kind of been evolving and where mm -hmm. people have imagined the future of technology was going to take us before we kind of started kind of started being able to fill in some of the blank edges on technology and the path that it's taking where people are like yeah cryogenic technology is going to be the next big thing and and we're all going to be uh we're all going to be able to just freeze ourselves until we techno medical science is good enough to bring us back. So, you know, I can I can see how all these rumors get get put together. But standing here on the other side of the turn of the decade, uh yeah, you can you can see the holes in it. Mhm. Mm but we yeah, still haven't just... figured out how to make good batteries. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need good batteries, you just need a lot of batteries. I still find it hilarious that our biggest stumbling block in technology right now is literally batteries yeah uh, quantity not quality yeah storing power is hard i i would imagine but other than that i i kind of have one other no i have i have another fun little tidbit before i get to my my candidate for the deepest lore all right i have two little tidbits one that i like that was kind of the deepest lore thing i could find mm-hmm 
And the other one I also like, but it's just a neat little factoid. Um, so apparently in the New Orleans Square, there's a train station near which you can hear someone tapping out a Morse code message, mm-hmm. which isn't just gibberish. It is actually a Morse code message from Disney's like inaugural speech. It's the first oh, couple really? of lines reading to all who come to Disneyland. Welcome here. Age relives fond memories of the past and here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future is what that that little message in the New Orleans Square is tapped out in Morse code, which I, I thought was yeah, really that's because it'd be it'd be easy to do a, just a throwaway sound design thing. But you made it something that is very specific and yeah, really historic. Those those opening words are uh, very famous among Disney fans. And it's it's really cool that they put that little Easter egg of sorts where it's like, yeah, yeah you, you might have to know Morse code and you might have to be able <laughs> yeah, to hear it. It's there. Yeah. One other fun little tidbit I found. So you you both know of the Beatles, right? The the band. I do. I've heard of them. They were they did something about a yeah, yellow they, they, submarine. I they think they were some some big band way before some my diamonds time. in in space or something. Is sky? I don't. I don't. So during the end of their you know time as a band, they had a a bit of a nasty breakup, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think a lot of bands do. And when you are disbanding a band like that, if you're going to do it officially, you have to get all the members to sign a like uh, legal papers to say, OK, this band is terminated. We are no more. Here's how everything's going to be divided. Because I think from a legal standpoint, they're basically an LLC, right? Like they, they are a, a company that is run by multiple CEOs, quote unquote, mm-hmm. which is the whichever members of the band kind of form. The yeah, band, that, so. that sounds about right to me. And John Lennon was very against... I don't know if against, but he was very hesitant about doing it. He was like, this mm-hmm. is like he walked out on a court case about this. And so he took a, a trip one winter to Disney World. And while he was there, one of these lawyers basically walked up to him and was like, hey, we got you confronted. Just sign these papers. Let's get this over with. And so with the Magic Kingdom as his backdrop, oh. the Beatles were disbanded. Man. So... I'm not saying the mouse might have had a hand in disbanding the Beatles, but uh, <laughs> Disney I mean, killed the Beatles. <laughs> if the boot fits. Uh, so, yeah, you, you said you had one other thing of interest. The one other thing of interest is something that I, I, I've heard about and kind of did a little bit of research on because I found it really just interesting because it was lore that kind of spawned from a like a rumor and a misconception. So at the Haunted Mansion attraction... Embedded in the concrete, there was a small ring in the ground. I think it was like right outside the entrance or something mm-hmm. where, you know, there was all kinds of speculation about how it's the wedding ring of the bride of, of a, a master Gracie, which who is who is this figure in the. Yeah, he's kind of like the the owner of the house at one point. Yeah. Unfortunately, the truth of this, because there was actually a little ring embedded in the concrete. Unfortunately, the truth of it is that it was more likely the removal of like a gatepost or electrical, con- electrical oh. conduit from mm-hmm. you know previous generations. Eventually, it caused enough of a traffic jam on the line going into the park or possibly out of the park. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. Uh, of just people looking at the ring as it's sitting yeah, there. Yeah, looking and puzzling over it. Uh, that eventually Disney repaved over that area, but they did actually embed a real wedding ring in the concrete slightly off the beaten path. You have to look for it if you really want to find it. But I, I just I found it interesting that they've now incorporated that legend into the actual lore of the of the ride itself or the attraction, I guess. You yeah, they uh, they saw this ring and they're like, OK, this is slowing things down, but we really like the idea. So let's just move it 50 feet to the left and yeah. spruce it up a bit. Uh, exactly. So yeah, if you if you look, I can't remember if it's the entrance or the exit, but if you look near the haunted mansion attraction, uh, you can find a little a little diamond ring, wedding band. We're gonna break it out. We're gonna make bank. All right. So here is a fun little rabbit hole I found. Both of you know of George Lucas, right? He's he's kind of a big name. I've, I've heard, heard of him. him. Yes. Yeah. He he's made a few. He's worked on a few hit projects, uh, like Indiana Jones mm. and yes, Star Billy, Wars. Yes, Billy. He did that 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 space fight, right? Star Trek. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a Trek. Why to do you the guys stars. hurt me? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, as time went on, uh, the Disney parks realized they needed rides with a bit more, you know, story to them. And as film was becoming more and more advanced, they were like, let's create some sort of movie to show to the, you know, park people and whatnot. Uh, so they got George Lucas signed on to work with them to make various rides and stuff. Like he's the one who designed the Star Tours ride, which is their famous Star Wars ride they've always had. Man, I thought you were making a joke about our our Star Trek goof just a second ago. And then I realized, no, this is what they called it. All yeah. Right. Uh, he also designed the there's an Indiana Jones. Uh, it's not really a ride, but it's more of like you watch a show of actors as they mm-hmm. do things. Uh, he wrote that and whatnot. But he also made a ride slash film called Captain EO. Uh, this was made in 1986 for a ride by the same name. And it starred another very famous person known as Michael Jackson. I'm listening. As the main. Uh huh. So he was the main character, Captain EO. And this was a sci fi space odyssey. It was 17 minutes long where he and his crew had to go to this alien planet and basically through the power of music, befriend them. This was one of the first 4D rides ever made as it used various effects like smoke and lasers to simulate what was going on in there. Uh, And there were two brand new songs performed by Michael Jackson in here. Another Part of Me and We Are Here to Change the World, both of which were later put onto albums of his. Uh, This... 17 minute long movie was at the time the most expensive film on a per minute base ever made as it cost. This was what what year was this released? in? 1986. 86. It was the most expensive permanent installment film on a per minute base. So it cost 30 million dollars to make this. Holy so God. doing the math, it comes out to 100 or not 100. 1.76 million dollars per minute for this 17 minute film wow and i thought the craziest thing that michael jackson did was his video game (laughs) uh that might still be the case uh but this was in the (laughs) park until 1998 and it's it's only come back to the parks on a few occasions uh but like you can buy the video that was played on like dvd it was sold at the gift shops, and it's still kind of floating around. I don't know if it was on DVD back then, VHS. It's been put on DVD today, and there was like yeah, I was going to say, 86, I think, is still VHS era. There was a, a special reprint of it when uh, Michael Jackson passed away, I believe, which is how it got on DVD. What was the what was the name of the film? Captain EO? Uh, EO, like just the two letters. Uh, Captain EO is ver- currently... No, hang on. That's Michael Jackson Moonwalker. Michael Jackson Moonwalker is available for $1.99 to rent on Amazon Video. Michael Jackson is Captain EO, 3D Special Souvenir Edition, Treasury Size, for $175 on Amazon. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that is my, my hat in the ring there. I would have never imagined George Lucas worked with Michael Jackson to make a 17-minute-long uh, movie. No, that was paid for by the mouse. I think if you can summarize it in a sentence where you think that no words belong in the sentence together, that really definitely puts it as a contender for the deepest lore. Just George Lucas and Michael Jackson teamed up to produce the most expensive permanent installment film at the time, which cost $30 million. Most expensive and it was 17 minutes money long. for a minute. Yeah, uh, it's it's just it's crazy. Uh, good night. There's a really good video about it on another channel. I'm going to shout out to called Defunct Land, where mm-hmm. it's like a 20 or 30 minute long video where he just goes into the detail about this. Uh, I highly recommend it if you want to know more. But that's really all I got for you. Unless you got more questions. I, I, you know, I don't have any questions. I'm, I'm, I'm puzzling over all this stuff that we talked about just to kind of, kind of ping. Because frankly, aside from kind of the rumors of Disney's frozen severed head, uh, that really mm-hmm. does seem like the, just the wildest, most obscure thing. Yeah, it's, it's up there. I'm sure there's more if you dig far enough. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, if you just put that on one sentence, 
mm-hmm. you kind of have to take a double take of like, what? Um, and if you've seen footage of it, it's as crazy as it sounds. We'll have to have a 17 minute long movie night sometime. We might. With it, I mean, with just there with there being so kind of like what I was saying, there's so much research and and things that have already been done into these kinds of amusement parks. That is something that I have never heard heard of, even in my like limited social absorption <laughs> osmosis of information. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard rumors of Disney's severed head. I didn't know anything about it, but I've I've heard the story. Yeah. I've heard. Uh, the ring in the concrete. I had heard of that just in like hearing about things. Um, the Disneyland, the Disneyland cats. I knew to go and look for that mm-hmm. information. Michael Jackson working with George Lucas at Disney before Disney had purchased Marvel or Star Wars. That I was not expecting. Yeah, it, it, it got crazy. Uh, what about you, Billy? I, yeah, that definitely is very confusing. <laughs> I don't know, Billy. Do you like, or do you feel like there's anything that even comes close to this as in in like terms of deepest lore? I I I strong belief that the Michael Jackson Captain EO video. You think we can make a definitive call on this one. Captain I think EO is. I think that's the deepest lore. <laughs> you, Connor, you said Captain EO had come back a couple of times. Do you know when the most recent return had been? Yeah, uh, the final time it was shown was uh, December of 2015. Whoa, Uh, that is way more recent than I expected. Yeah, and uh, it was just for like a one-time showing, if I recall. Okay. Uh, But it also returned to Disney Parks in 2010 as a tribute, because that that was after Michael Jackson passed away. Uh, In fact, when I think they brought it back, they upgraded the 4D effects. Uh, like they added in like moving seats and like uh, fiber optic lighting for various oh, scenes and whatnot. Before we roll into the outro, I do want to call out the people in the costumes because they managed to stay in character very well. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Shout out to all. I have seen so many clips that works there. I've seen so many clips of like someone holding a lightsaber or something and the stormtroopers stopping and calling them out like, hey, we've got a Jedi over here. Uh, when I went to Hollywood Studios, I was in line for the ride where you are not really a ride, but where you build your own lightsaber. Yeah. And and the setting they give you, that is a very illegal thing to do. Uh, the Empire does not like that. And in the place, there are stormtroopers and like generals patrolling the area and they will come up and question you during the time you're in line and the cast member is just like we don't know anything what are you talking about this is just a scrapyard and so the general will like walk up to a few people in line and be like oh yeah well have you heard about anything and he walked up to this maybe six-year-old girl and uh, he's like well have you heard anything about lightsabers and she just starts crying she's like it's not my fault my dad made me come here <laughs> and the guy turns around and looks at the dad it's like oh so you're the one who made this irresponsible uh decision young child i am putting you in charge for today you are now the boss of your father you tell him <laughs> what to do if you want ice cream he will get you ice cream if you want a toy he will get you a toy and you didn't hear this from me but if you want a lightsaber he will get you a lightsaber and it was just such a good, like, on-the-fly, in-character acting that I was like, wow. Uh, just he was pretty much an actor in that moment. Yeah. Uh, I saw the cutest little video where a little girl, a little girl's dressed up as Rey. Mm-hmm. And she's standing in front of Kylo and she raises her hand as if, like, to stop him with the force. And he just genuinely stops in his track and the two stormtroopers stop and look at her and have this, like... You can't tell because the helmet, but you get the impression <laughs> that they're terrified. And then she she lowers her hand and they keep going. <laughs> Another really amazing thing that the cast members do. Uh, when I used to go there, I had a book where I try to get all the Disney characters signatures. Their signatures across like all the parks all across the world are like the same. They are people who like dress up as Donald Duck are trained to do Donald Duck signature. Oh, wow. In a mascot costume. Man, that is, that has got to be tough. So yeah, uh, hats off to them for that. But yeah, they they go through some intense training. Uh, 
Like they have very particular words they're supposed to use and like you're not supposed to point with a finger at anything. Yeah. Because in some cultures that can be offensive. So it's all like, you know, just hand one hand and like they're not allowed to use the word problem. Like if if someone says thank you, like they can't say no problem because to say no problem indicates that there was a problem. Mm. And that's kind of an undisney thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure if you dig into that, there's a lot more. Uh, stuff like there's a I know there's a hidden basketball hoop inside not basketball hoop but like basketball court inside one of the break areas which is built into like one of the mountains at a park mm-hmm. for the cast members to play basketball on their break that's real neat I as a person just with anxiety and you know not liking you know big crowded situations and stuff I I never really much cared for amusement parks or especially being around people like actors and character and stuff just because mm-hmm. it, it felt I don't know. It just felt uncomfortable to. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. But like that situation you said with the, the, the cast member talking to that kid, like I being able to turn that situation around on the fly like that is, is a, uh, that's a feat, especially Mm -hmm. if, if you've got someone who's a little more anxious and a little like uncomfortable with the situation, being able to figure out how to make that situation more comfortable. It, yeah, they they know what they're doing. <laughs> oh, I, I we could keep going on, but we oh, are yeah. we are now hitting the hour and twenty hour minute 20 mark. Minute, yeah, <laughs> I think this is the longest episode we've had. You got you got a third person. Yeah, I was expecting another. Uh, I don't know the exact math because I'm terrible at math, but I was expecting to add on a third of, to the length of the episode. That's about what we got. But yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun to spew random Disney facts I've gathered over the years. Yeah, I, no, I we really appreciate your expertise. Uh, the again with Billy and I having never been to the parks, it's like, where do we even start to look through yeah. all this? And and you've already got your like I said, you're or like you mentioned, you're kind of interested in looking at all this trivia and this uh, lore regarding. Yeah, again, for anyone listening, I highly recommend the channel Offhand Disney and the channel Defunct Land. Uh, they have amazing content about the history of the parks. Uh, both of those are on YouTube. I... Yep, YouTube. And let's see. I think, yeah, that's about that's about what we got for our, for our research, what we got for today. Captain EO being the deepest lore we've found uh as always you can reach out to us on twitter at deep Lorable or at um deep Lorable suggestions yes deep Lorable contact, contact at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or anything for us uh let us know if you've got some other disney facts and and information some deep lore of your own obviously we can't cover everything in one episode there's just way too much anything else from from you guys no, I uh, just feel welcome to point out anything I got wrong, because I'm sure I botched <laughs> up half the things I said. Uh, but I, I can guarantee I was right half the time, at least. Yes. Uh, so again, just thank you for having me on. Yeah, and and thank you all for, for listening. I'm Michael Bastine. I'm Billy Staples. And I'm Connor Heffernan. And we will see you. No, you will hear from us. That's the one. I always get that twisted. Next time. Bye. Bye.